I'm Bill Miles with the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber of Commerce, and we're delighted to have you dialing in and being with us today. Boy, the weather on Hilton Head Island and Beaufort and Bluffton and Beaufort and all of uh, South Carolina has been wonderful, and we're looking forward to keeping that going. Today's Power Hour, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, having a glimpse into one of the community's cornerstone events that's happening next week, and that's our State of the Region. Uh, we've been on a two-year hiatus from that, and we're delighted to, uh, to be back. Our crowd looks very good, and it's going to be a, a, a great day. So if you haven't purchased your tickets yet, we'd just love for you to go ahead and do that. And uh, two of our speakers this morning will be at State. Being that we're only 13 days away from Election Day, if you can believe that, it's, uh, I think it's time for it to be here. We know that we have a lot of races that are happening in Beaufort County. And to make sense of all that, we've included a candidate hub on our website. So you can go to our website and see the, the views all the candidates have given their viewpoint on everything from workforce housing to 278, the corridor, and everything else in between. There's also so much happening nationally that uh, also impacts us locally. Some of those questions could be, will the House majority change? Is there a chance the Senate will flip? And then also what states are in flux and what do gubernatorial races uh, tell us? And here to give us a glimpse, a big picture perspective is a woman who is no stranger to politics. Ashley Rich Stevenson is a senior political strategist with the US Chamber of Commerce and oversees political affairs and issues advocacy. She's worked on several US presidential campaigns and served as the president of Just Win Strategies, a national political strategy, strategy firm. And uh, she's often called upon as a panelist and a commentator to talk political trends. And Ashley, it's great to see your smiling face today. We're happy to have you today and really looking forward to uh, seeing you next week on Hilton Head Island. Thank you, Bill. What a delight to be with you. And I cannot wait to be together in person next week. I'm based in Alexandria, Virginia, and the weather is gloomy today. So I'm ready for some low country sunshine. And with that, we're going to have a great conversation next week about politics. I can't believe that I get the opportunity to be on Hilton Head Island with less than a week until the election. And at the US Chamber of Commerce, the largest business lobbying organization in the world, we are deeply engaged in this political season because we know our members and job creators and the workforce across the country have to be involved in politics because the outcome of this election cycle will, will directly affect all of our lives and our ability to create jobs and make sure that we have the policy outcomes we need out of this next Congress to move us through this moment of inflation and what's to come. So what are we gonna talk about next week? Just a bit of a preview. How is the business community engaging and viewing the midterms? We are clear-eyed and focused because I mentioned we have to be supporting the candidates at the federal level, all the way down to your state and local elections who will back business when they're in office. And we've been working through this moment of protracted disruption. Nine of the last 11 election cycles since the start of the century in the year 2000 at the national level have produced a change in terms of who's in charge. So as business leaders, you are working through this ping pong ball going back and forth of disruption. What are the policy outcomes from the federal government? Are we working through a time when members from parties wanna to work together across the aisle? Are we gonna be sliding into some more regulatory overreach in 118th Congress? We have a lot to think about and be prepared for, and we're here to help you with that. 
I'm also going to touch next week a bit about some of the wild twists and turns in the 2020 election cycle. There have been a number of things that have been impossible to predict. I think we're still in for a few more October surprises, if you will. So maybe by next week when we're all together, we'll have a few more of those things to be able to talk about. And then the big issues. What is it that voters care about? What are South Carolinians focused on? And are those the same or different than voters across the country? I'm a political pollster, so I'm gonna offer a bit of a preview for you on the trends that matter and what to pay attention to. We've now entered silly season where every day there are more than one new polls out, quite frankly, in these big races across the country. So I'm gonna help you understand a bit of what to pay attention to and what to make sense, of, make sense of, while also diving into some of these key races. As Bill mentioned, there may be an outcome that results of a different party being in charge of the U.S. House. And I'll tell you up here in Washington, all eyes are on the U.S. Senate. Today, it's a split 50-50 Senate. There's a lot of questions. Could we have another split 50-50 Senate? I think your neighboring state, Georgia, will be decisive and the outcome in terms of who's ultimately in charge of the United States Senate. So I will dig deep into all of those races that matter and will ultimately determine who is in control and how divided will the government be. We know President Biden will still be in the White House as we head into 2024, but will Republicans take control of the U.S. House and will they then have a U.S. Senate to work with? Republicans only need to take back six seats in the House to be in control. The big question today, and I'm sure you're seeing it on television and reading it in the papers, what will the size of that majority be? And it's been moving all around with so much disruption this cycle of what the forecasts are, but we're settling on something that looks like maybe a 20 seat, 25 seat pickup for Republicans, but I'll dive into that a bit more next week in terms of the races that matter. I also will touch a little bit about state government and how divided state government, there's only 12 left in the country compared to trifectas across the nation, what that means for policy outcomes and job creators talk a little bit about what's happening in South Carolina. And I can think of no better place to end this teaser than by saying that 2024 is on the horizon, whether you all as leaders in the low country are ready for it or not, we know that the Palmetto State always plays a key role in picking our next president. So this is about to be in your backyard and happening very quickly. And you've got some tremendous leaders from your state who are on the short and long list of potential presidential candidates. So, so much to be proud of as being a South Carolinian in your state. And I'm really excited to be with you and answer a couple questions, Bill, if you have time for them today. Otherwise, I will answer all of the tough questions next week and really look forward to it. Thank you for uh, that update. And that certainly teases us well and gets us set up for next week. But we do have a couple questions. And one is coming from Carolyn. And Carolyn is asking if the polling is getting any better. A great question, Carolyn. You know, I don't know. We'll find out if the horse race polling is accurate on election today. Be mindful that the numbers you're seeing when it's a ballot test, which means this candidate versus another, is a snapshot in time. It's not predictive. It might be directional. But in most cases, this is where these races stand today. So I encourage everybody to go to realclearpolitics.com. Look at the averages. 
Don't look at just one poll and believe it. There's so much coming out right now that more is better. So I always encourage people to pay attention to just what the averages look like overall to try to make sense of this. The polling has been all over the place for the last several years, and it's a terrific question to ask, but we shall soon see. All right, another question is coming from James. You touched on this just a little bit, but what races are you seeing as key? I believe in the U.S. Senate, it's going to come down to three big races that will decide who's in charge. Pennsylvania, that's an open seat where the U.S. Chamber had a long working relationship with the retiring Senator Pat Toomey, who is very pro-business. We've endorsed Dr. Oz. There was a big debate there last night. I'm sure you've seen it in the news, and if you haven't, you surely will. Second to that is over in Nevada where a Republican former Attorney General Adam Laxalt is challenging an incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Former Attorney General Laxalt has a small advantage today on the polling averages, so that would be a pickup opportunity for Republicans that looks very viable. And lastly is Georgia. And if no candidate on Election Day gets 50%, it goes to a runoff on December 6th. There's a chance that the whole balance of power in the U.S. Senate, again, goes to another one of these Georgia runoffs, which is really quite wild, but that's where we are. Ashley, we have uh, we have a number of other questions, but we're not gonna get to those because uh, we wanna save those for next week when you're on the island. Terrific update. Uh, it's just a, a brief of what's yet to come. And we really are delighted to have you coming. And I, I wanna thank you for all that you do uh, with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Thank you, Bill, for your partnership. And I can't wait to be with you next week. Okay, safe travels. Thank you. All right, that was Ashley Rich Stevenson with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and we're looking forward to having her. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, uh, you want to do so because it's filling up quickly, and uh, uh, that's going to be a great day. And then also on that day, we're going to be hearing from mayors of uh, Bluffton and Hilton Head Island, Jasper, uh, or I'm sorry, Hardyville. And then also uh, Beaufort County Chairman Joe Passman, and Joe's coming up on our Power Hour. Uh, I want to remind you that on the ballot, you will find an initiative designed to preserve and protect green space in Beaufort County, which you will find as questions 1A and 1B on the ballot. And here to tell us more about that is the uh, Chair of Beaufort County Council, Joe Passman. Joe, good morning and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Let me make sure I'm on camera so you can see me. So uh, the green space is coming up and uh, it's been widely circulated. Uh, people will be making that decision on November 8th. Um, I have to be very careful because I have to educate and not advocate. This is something that was done as a result of Buford County has long since been an advocate for preserving land. Our Rural and Critical Lands Board and our program has been in existence for between 15 and 20 years. And over that time, we've raised over $150 million. And we did that through bond referendums. This time around, the green space is going to be a one cent sales tax, a short duration of two years in which we will hopefully, if it's passed, 
raise $100 million for the preservation of land. Because this is a statewide initiative that Buford County is going to be the lead in, we're the only county in the state that's going to have this as a local initiative this year. The state looks to us to be that group that can do this, do this sufficiently, do this accurately, and be the model for the rest of the state. There are a number of options in there that would allow us to preserve land. And that's where the critical education comes in. Uh, the, the major ones are to outright purchase land. That's a, what they call fee simple. And in that, you purchase land that could be developed and prevent it from being, being developed. The second most popular one is conservation where the land is still held by the landowner in which they pay taxes on, but there is a conservation easement that restricts how that land could be developed. The third one, which is the probably the most controversial one, and that's going to give people the pause most as to whether they will support this or not, is what they call density. And that means you could go into um, any place, whether it be unincorporated Buford County, where a developer is developing a piece of property, and let's say they want to build 500 homes, and you could buy up the density and say, look, what we would like you to do is only build 300 homes rather than 500, because that would have a less impact on the environment. But the controversial part of that is whether or not you're rewarding developers. Um, and so I say to individuals that is on the books, that does not mean that we would in fact do that. Uh, we are in the process of setting up the individuals because there are seven of them that have to be part of a board. There will be one member from our delegation, one member from our county council, and uh, four additional members uh, from the north, south, east, and west sections of the county, and then one person who has expertise in uh, this area. So those are the kinds of things that are going on. Uh, I hope everyone reads the documentation about what is going to be done there is significant lands still in Buford County that need to be protected. Uh, and as I said, this is a statewide initiative, and that's why it's difficult. We always talk in Buford County about northern Buford County and southern Buford County, and it's split by the Broad River, north of the Broad and south of the Broad. And yet we have to find out, you know, north, south, east, and west. And that is because every single county in the state has north, south, east, and west areas of it. So that's why that is. So uh, I hope that's the teaser. Uh, um, and I'll be glad to answer any questions that I can. Okay, thank you very much. And we do have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is coming from Raymond. And Raymond is asking, how is this similar to the initiatives put in place by the Hilton Head Island government many years ago uh, to protect land from development? It's very similar that way. Um, it's similar to our rural and critical lands program that we have now. 
It's just another way of, of getting the money. In this particular case, because it's a 1% sales tax, there is the, the terminology that the citizens who live here in Beaufort County are not going to bear the full brunt. There is up to 45% of the money that would be garnered of the $100 million that would be coming from visitors, tourists, renters, those kinds of uh, individuals who uh, do not live in the county but use county services. All right. Next question is coming from Sharon. And Sharon is asking, what is the main goal of the housing trust that's recently been formed? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Th this has been going on for a number of years. Uh, we finally put this together. We now have our local government municipalities in both Beaufort and Jasper counties. We've created the Regional Housing Trust Fund. This is going to be for us to be able to have affordable workforce housing for individuals. Uh, we do have pockets all over the county. Hilton Head has several little pockets of workforce housing that they're developing. This is going to be both in Jasper and Buford County. So this is going to be a regional housing trust fund because we, we know that there is a tremendous shortage of affordable workforce housing. Next question is coming from Ted, and Ted is asking, has the county looked at how other areas across the country are doing, doing workforce housing well? Oh, yes. We, we've modeled our particular workforce housing uh, along the lines of what has been done in Greenville and other places around the country. So we're, we're not starting from scratch. We're, we're taking the best of the best and putting our uh, foot forward that way. It, and it is a regional approach, which is, is unique to us. Joe, we have one last question for you, and that's coming from Emma. And Emma is asking, how will the trust enhance private investment in building workforce housing? Well, there, there are a variety of uh, avenues that we will be dealing with. There are several um, funding sources that can be used to help individuals in workforce housing, whether it is the developer, whether it is individuals along the AMI. So there, there are quite a few options that we'll, we will be able to have. And we have Community Works that is very knowledgeable. They're our um, uh, overseer of the program. We have a, a community development institution that's based in Greenville, South Carolina, that's going to be helping us. So we're, we're putting all the plans together now. We have a 90-day plan to put the board together, to have the individuals who will be on that board who will be making these decisions. So it's moving rather fast. Joe, you've been very informative this morning. We're uh, pleased that you could be with us and uh, we're looking forward to uh, all of our guests being able to hear much more and some in greater detail at our yep. State of the Region event next week. Yep, got a lot to talk about. All right, that's good. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks. 
Transitioning now that uh, looking at some events that are coming up, we know that tickets for uh, next week's Concord d'Elegance and Motoring Festival are selling at a record pace. Uh, what many don't know might be is that when it comes to event attendees, uh, Concours, Concord d'Elegance is the highest net worth event in the state of South Carolina. And that's saying a lot. Uh, the cars we know are magnificent and here to tell us what's in store for the 20th. The 20th anniversary of the Concord d'Elegance and Motoring Festival is its president, Lindsay Harrell. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Great to see your smiling face. And, uh, Hi, Bill. Tell us, tell us what to expect this year. Well, it's a big year. Um, Bill, you just gave me a little bit of a panic attack saying next week's Concours. Um, it's hard to believe that it's just around the corner and we will be out there next week at the Port Royal Golf Club getting set up uh, this time next week, but it's really exciting. Um, Bill, you also mentioned the wonderful weather the island's been having, and let's keep the good weather rolling uh, through next weekend. Would be wonderful if we can arrange for that. Um, we'd love to showcase the beautiful fall in Hilton Head Island to all the visitors that come. But this year is a huge year for us. It is our 20th year. Um, and what has been incredible is the number of people that have been involved in this event since the very first year in 2002. Um, we've got a number of volunteers that are still involved. Um, Rosemary Kimball, a local island resident, has been here with us um, all 20 years. I, and I can name probably 25 to 30 more that have been involved since the very get-go. We've got exhibitors that bring their cars and have been coming since year one. Judges. So it's really exciting to see the passion that has continued for this event with all the different people involved over the 20 years. Um, but this year, with it being a huge anniversary for us, we've got a really um, special things planned to kind of look back at our um, first 20 years. Uh, one of the things we're doing is we invited back all of our best of show winners. And this may not seem like a huge number, but we're pretty excited about it. We have seven of our past best of show winners coming, which is really quite, uh, quite an achievement considering ownership changes, owners unfortunately pass away, um, things happen with the car after it shows with us. So we're really quite excited to have seven past winners showing up to Hilton Head Island to showcase their champion. Um, we've got a Rolls Royce coming, a great Jaguar, uh, Bob Jepson from Savannah's Mercedes that won in 2019. So that's sure to be a show-stopping exhibit. And we've got this year's Grand Marshal, Wayne Creaney. If you all know who Wayne Creaney is, he is the host of Chasing Classic Cars. And he will be doing a special tour of that exhibit for um, our attendees on Saturday. So that's going to be a great, a great show-stopping exhibit. And we're really excited. We partnered with local artist Amiri Ferris, and he has done a, a painting of each of the past best of show winners. And we'll be working with Amiri to present those paintings at the show to the owners as well. So we're really excited to add some local flavor in there as well. Also, if you know much about the show. One of the things that Hilton Head has done um, for the last 12 years to sort of set Hilton Head apart from other Concours events in the country is we've hosted what we call our life exhibit. And it has been everything from life on the road with vintage campers and RVs to life in the service with military vehicles to life on the silver screen. And we thought for our 20th year, instead of doing something new and different, we wanted to take a look back at all those past themes. So we're gonna have over 50 cars on display to represent the past life themes. And some of the highlights that I'm really excited about, um, 
We've got a Ferrari that was previously owned by Derek Jeter that will be on display as part of our Life of the Rich and Famous. Also in that same theme, we'll have Frank Lloyd Wright's cord out of the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Museum. We're going to have, to represent our destination and our island, we've got Life at the Beach. And that will include a couple of really fun vehicles, but also the Turtle Patrol's ambulance will be on display so we can tell our visitors about the Turtle Patrol and everything that we do on the island to help protect the turtles. Um, we've got Life on the Silver Screen, one of my favorites. Uh, actually, I think that's a lot of people's favorites. We've got the Pizza Planet truck coming from Toy Story. And just in time for the holiday season, we've got Cousin Eddie's RV coming from Christmas Vacation. So we're really excited. It's gonna be a wild exhibit um, of all kinds of makes and models. And um, I think it'll be really fun for everyone who comes out to the show. Um, one of the things that has really set Hilton Head apart from, I don't wanna say our competitors, but other events um, on the concourse schedule is the Southern hospitality. It's consistently the thing we hear that people love about the show um, in addition to the cars. So, you know, we want to thank our volunteers who are all local residents, everyone that's involved from the community for helping make this so special for all of our guests. Um, one of the things that we're continuing to do in this year is our celebration of women in the hobby. Again, that's another thing that helps to set Hilton Head apart. No other Concord does this. And we're really excited this year as part of that celebration, we're welcoming a few special guests. Um, Anne Brockington Lee is our first female pinnacle collector, and she is bringing five cars. So she's not only our first female pinnacle collector, but she's bringing the most cars we've ever had come from a pinnacle collector. Um, she's really special, not only because she's our first female, but she's also from Charleston. So she's our first pinnacle collector to have a tie to the state of South Carolina, which we're really excited to highlight this year in our 20th year. She's bringing an incredible array of cars. I mean, when you say jaw-dropping, her cars are the definition of jaw-dropping. Um, she's bringing two past Pebble, uh, Pebble Beach Best of Show winners. Um, she's bringing two Ferraris and she's bringing a Lancia and all of them have a very special story. And just to give you an idea, one of the two Ferraris that she's bringing is the first Ferrari that was ever imported to the United States. So she's got over 200 cars in her collection and she has narrowed it down to five that she thinks are really special to share with us. So we're excited to have her. Um, in addition, we're bringing in a couple of amazing women that um, I call them women driving the world because they really have driven the world. Um, Renee Brinkerhoff and her daughter, Christina from Valkyrie Racing will be here. They are the first people to race in a rally race on every single continent. Um, including Antarctica. So she will be here with her uh, PXG Polar Porsche. It is outfitted with skis and treads to navigate the snow and ice. Um, it's a really exciting car. It's a really exciting uh, mother-daughter team coming in and they take it a step further. They don't do this for just fun. They're doing this to raise awareness for child trafficking. So there's a great cause behind what they're doing and we're excited to help share their cause and share their story. Also, our partners at Foreign Cars Italia are offering female test drives. They are on a mission to get more women in the driver's seat of exotic sports cars. And if you are coming to the show and want to participate and interested in doing one of their Ferrari test drives, I would encourage you to give me, a, uh, pop me an email. 
Uh, my email is lharrell at hhiconcord.com. And we would be happy to set you up with a test drive over the weekend. A couple other new things that we're doing this year um, to celebrate 20 years. We've got some new classes this year, a class called VIP Customs, which is really special. It is cars uh, built for executives and VIPs. We've got a number of cars in that class. We also have two new classes this year that, that skew the age of the cars a little bit younger, which is a, which is a you know, deviant from what we've done in the past. Uh, we've got a class called Future Classics. Those are gonna be post 75 as opposed to pre 1975 cars. And we also are showcasing the 50th anniversary of the BMW M. BMW has been our longest uh, sponsor. They have been with us since year one. They have never not been here. So we wanted to do a few things to showcase our relationship and our partnership with BMW. Um, we're doing a special showcase on Saturday in the Car Club Showcase of Japanese cars, which we've never done before. We've got over 40 uh, JDM cars, which will be really exciting and help draw in a new and younger audience. We're doing an exhibit of brass era race cars to honor our neighbor Savannah's racing history and our racing past as well. We're going to have eight brass era race cars on display. Those are all uh, early 1900s race cars, really exciting to see. Um, three of them are owned um, locally in the Savannah area. We've got some new sponsors on board with us this year as well. Hemmings Motor News is a brand new sponsor with us. Leland Little Auctions will be showcasing their collector car auction business. And Toyota is a really exciting new uh, automotive sponsor we have as well. And if that's not enough, we've got some amazing people coming this year in to support the event. I mentioned briefly, um, Wayne Carini from My Chasing Classic Cars will be our Grand Marshal this year. We'll also have Dennis Gage from My Classic Car. He will be emceeing our show on Saturday. And then we bring in featured designers every year and they really help to support our charitable efforts. Um, they sketch live at our design dinner on Saturday evening at the Harbortown Clubhouse. And this year we've got a wonderful lineup, a lot of new designers that have never been with us before, um, including Chris Bangle, who was formerly with BMW. He was the head of design with BMW for years. Now he lives and works in Europe and is doing his own contract work, excuse me, contract work. Ralph Gilles, who is the head of design for Stellantis um, and behind Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Chrysler, Fiat, Maserati, um, lots of names that he is supporting. He will be here with us this year. We have a female designer coming in from Cadillac. Her name is Magalie DeBellis. Uh, we've got a new designer coming in from Toyota and Lexus. His name is Tom Matsumoto. And Michael Simcoe, head of design for General Motors, will return with us as well. So that is um, an incredible lineup for our Saturday dinner. And we're really excited to, to watch them sketch live and, and can't thank them enough for their time and support of our charitable efforts. In addition to our events, there are a few events around the community I wanted to make everyone aware of as well, um, because there's some great things leading up to the Concord weekend that if you have the time and want to participate, it's a great way to get involved. Uh, Nunzios hosts a wine dinner on Wednesday night. They've got some information on their website about that. Michael Anthony's as well hosts a dinner on Thursday evening. Um, it's a wine paired dinner. And again, if you call the restaurant or go to their website, you'll find some information about that event. The West End this year is getting in on the action and they are hosting a concert on Thursday evening. It's the big band swinging shag show. That's gonna be Thursday night, November 3rd. 
um, Grand Motoring Film Festival is returning again this year at the Art Center of Coastal Carolina on Thursday as well. And then of course we have our flights and fancy airport gala on Friday night and we do still have limited tickets available but sales only run through today. So if you're interested in attending the flights and fancy gala, I encourage you to buy your tickets online today. We've got an amazing lineup of aircraft coming in for that this year. Gulfstream will be on site with their G150. We'll have a Cessna Citation jet from our partners at Textron. We'll have a privately owned Embraer that you can tour and also a King Air, as well as a number of vintage aircraft as well. All new aircraft coming in this year for that show. And our partners at BMW, again, they will be doing taxiway rides at racing speeds down the run, down the taxiway, not the runway. John Rimbold would be upset if I said the runway. Um, so that's an incredible event. If you haven't been, I encourage you to think about going. It's very much fun. It's our kickoff to the whole weekend. Um, but really, why do we do all of this? Um, and there are two main reasons why we do this. One, we wanna give back to the community. So our Driving Young America Fund, we provide grants to local youth organizations that help support the event. We work with organizations like Special Olympics, Heroes on Horseback, the Hilton Head Symphony Orchestra's Youth Orchestra, um, about 12 different local youth organizations that, that we work with that support the event and we provide grants to. We also want to build that next generation of workforce and enthusiasts that will help perpetuate this event moving forward. So we provide scholarships and grants to schools and students who are interested in pursuing a career in the automotive or aviation space. We also wanna bring more visitors to the island. Um, last year, if, you, if anyone remembers, we had not the best weather, but we still had great attendance, um, out of town attendance. We had about 13,000 attendees come through our gates last year um, over the two days. 75% of them were from out of town. Um, that generated about $13 million in economic impact. So we want to bring more people to experience this island and see what Hilton Head, Hilton Head has to offer and hopefully maybe one day become a home buyer as well. Uh, we do survey on the property and 20% of our attendees last year were interested in purchasing a home on the island after their experience at the show. So that's what we want to do. Um, we are really excited for this year. Ticket sales, as Bill mentioned, are going strong. We expect, based on our ticket sales, that we will have record attendance this year. And so I hope you all will come out and join us and see the show and, and just come celebrate 20 years of the Hilton Head Island Concours with us. Lindsay, wow. What a, <laughs> uh, what a program. What a show you've put together. That, uh, that just sounds fabulous and so many exciting things. And uh, I was in a meeting yesterday where they were talking a little bit about Cousin Eddie's RV, and there's such such excitement to, to see that. And our, our previous speaker, uh, Chairman Joe Passman, he showed his Corvette back in 2017. Oh, at fantastic. The, at the event. So that's, uh, that's pretty neat as well. Tickets. If people are looking for tickets, what's the best way they should go about purchasing them? You can go to our website, it's hhiconcour, which is C-O-N-C-O-U-R-S.com. We have tickets available on site or online through the days of the event. So you can do that. It sort of helps to expedite the process a little bit to get you through the gate, or you can buy tickets at the gate day of if you prefer. All right. Fred is asking, I know before I ask the question, it's a, probably going to be a difficult one for you to answer but I'll ask, and that's is, uh, what do you consider is the rarest car coming? Ooh, 
I, oh, <laughs> um, I'm torn. We've got a couple. Um, one is coming out of the GM Heritage Center. It's going to be a part of our Life of the Rich and Famous uh, segment of the Life exhibit this year. And it was, it's the uh, Pegasus that was owned by GM's Bill Mitchell, um, one of a kind. Um, that one is pretty incredible. And then I would say the other one I would mention is Anne Brockington Lee, who I mentioned is our pinnacle collector this year. She is bringing a 1937 fork. Um, and it is, I've only seen the photos and my jaw is already on the floor. Um, it looks pretty amazing. And then of course the Ferrari that she's bringing in as well, that was the first Ferrari imported to the United States has, has quite a history as well. So I would say those three are high on the list. Um, that is a hard question. I can't get it down to one. I'm sorry, but those three are, are incredibly special vehicles that will be out there. I think you did very well with that answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we're really looking forward to the to the event. I'm glad that it's just next week. You might want a little bit longer, but uh, hearing all the fabulous things that you've talked about this morning, even if you're not a car lover, you need to go out and, and be a part of this. It's uh, uh, something that is amazing, something is truly special for Hilton Head Island, the South Hilton Head Island, the, really the entire state of South Carolina and uh, other states around. So Lindsay, Congratulations to what you've done. We look forward to a wonderful show and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, see you next weekend. Okay, thank you. Back in 1987, Mrs. Ida Wright, she launched the Bluffton Self-Help, an organization that I'm proud to say that is still going and still going very, very strong. And while most of us are familiar with the food bank program, there are many other aspects to the organization such as literacy and career development. And joining us this morning is the CEO of Bluffton Self-Help, Courtney Hampson. Uh, Courtney, we're delighted to have you this morning and, and uh, congratulations on your job. And we look forward to a, an update. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Um, I feel like I'm going to be the downer today, but I do think the juxtaposition of what our community looks like is a really important conversation to have. So, you know, we go from Concord and I think about the drive from Bluffton to Hilton Head that many of us make back and forth multiple times a week. And we drive past gated community after gated community and there's security and fountains and beautiful landscaping that is updated, you know, seasonally like in my neighborhood. But what we don't see when we are making these trips back and forth are the households that are at risk. And six in 10 households in Beaufort County and three of four households in Jasper County fall into that at-risk category, which means they are not making a livable wage. When we do that math, that is almost 50,000 households, which is a staggering number. And you know, from our perspective, it really puts our community in this crisis category. So two years ago, when we started kind of researching this idea of livable wage, the number was 57,000. We believe that folks needed to make $57,000 a year for a family of three to be able to get by. And now in just two years, that number is closer to 75,000. So we're looking at these 50,000 households who are not making $75,000 a year. 10% are making less than 25,000. 20% are making less than 50. And so, you know, what is that one crisis that may push them over the edge? And so we used to say that was a flat tire. So one flat tire, a $200 to $300 expense really becomes financial panic and 
crisis. And now, because of the state of the economy, we're saying, you know, one trip to the grocery store could actually create that crisis. So the folks that we are working with are constantly negotiating and juggling how to get by. And we just don't believe that that is okay. Um, in addition to kind of the livable wage piece, suboptimal housing is um, an issue. Um, Joe talked about housing and affordable housing and workforce housing, but there's also 36% of the housing in Beaufort Jasper County is suboptimal. This means that folks are living in a house without plumbing, with an incomplete kitchen, it might be a hot plate and a dorm fridge, and there's multiple families living in that house. So someone loses their home, they move in with a family member, now there's four adults and six kids in one home. That is sub optimal. So we're thinking about kind of all these external factors, including housing, that are affecting folks' financial situation. We know that education or a lack of education directly contributes to an inability to make a livable wage. We know that without a diploma, um, getting a job is harder. So as we focus on this idea of getting folks to a livable wage, what are all the pieces that need to happen? So um, as Bill mentioned, our organization was founded 36 years ago and the focus was basic needs. Food, clothing, emergency financial assistance, get folks in crisis to stability. As we've evolved, education and training is really important. Um, we have 231 English as a second language students right now. And that is because we know that within the Hispanic community, we see the highest levels of poverty and the lowest levels of education. So two nights a week, two mornings a week, 231 of our neighbors are coming to get better and advance through their English skills. We have 20 GED students this semester. We started with 20, three have already completed their GED since the end of August, which is phenomenal. And what we've found with our students is in most cases, they just need someone to say, yes, you can. Take the practice test, take the test, pass the test, and then how do we move next? So we meet the basic needs, we stabilize folks, but then how do we get them to self-sufficiency? And that is all about jobs, and the wage and career readiness. So we find again, that when we make the promise to stand with someone and walk beside them and help them and be their cheerleader and give a little push, that's what's making the difference. Cause so many folks in this situation have not had somebody to be their cheerleader. So it's about resume writing, job interview skills, coaching, doing a job search, getting online. You can't apply for a job by walking in with a resume these days, right? Everything starts online. So even the idea of digital literacy and financial literacy. So we have this really beautiful graphic that shows how we move people from crisis to stabilization, to self-sufficiency and then success. But we know the reality is that path to stabilization and self-sufficiency is like the worst ping pong match you have ever seen. There are so many steps forward, so many steps back, more steps back before we move forward and so what we are thinking about is how do we straighten that line a little bit? And so with the addition of client advocates and case managers on our team, these are our social workers who are literally walking those steps with everybody to again, just help to straighten out that path and make the journey a little easier. And so when we're talking about 50,000 households, the number of folks we impact um, a year is about 5,000. We're distributing, a half a million pounds of food 
every year. Um, $150,000 in clothing, $200,000 in emergency financial assistance. We're seeing up to 300 students move through our classrooms, but there are so many pieces that need our community to help. So you will be hearing from us as we continue to tell this story about our focus really on a livable wage and what that means for our community and our community partners and for the businesses in our community. It's the conversation around, are you paying a livable wage and what does that look like and how do we help solve this problem together? So that in 10 years, when we look at the census data and the livable wage data, um, those numbers have fallen. So again, you know, not the most um, uplifting <laughs> conversation, but I have a lot of conversations that aren't uplifting. This is hard work, but it's important work. And to think about these households who are not um, comfortable and feeling self-sufficient and have the time to think about what tomorrow might bring, we have got to change that and we have to do it as a community. Okay, thank you for that. I need to go back to a correction when I was introducing you and Bluffton Self-Help. Uh, I believe I introduced the founder as Mrs. Ida Wright, and I mm -hmm. should correct that and say Mrs. Ida Martin. Right. And when I was thinking while you were speaking, I was thinking, where did I come up with that? And uh, I thought back long and far, and it was actually when I was growing up, it was an older lady in the small town where I lived, and mm -hmm. uh, that's where the name Ida Wright came from. But we're thankful for Ida Martin and uh, the fabulous the fab fabulous history she has and then how the legacy has continued on we have a few questions for you if you have time for them um, the first one is is asking since uh, the holidays are upon us thanksgiving is just around the corner how can we help and what is your biggest need right um turkeys and toys those are the biggest need um we started <laughs> the promotion around the holidays in October. So we will again help thousands of families with their holiday meal. And we actually help um, up to about 1500 students in Beaufort, Jasper, Colleton and Hampton County have a Christmas. So when you visit our website, leftandselfhelp.org, if you go to the holidays link, there is information there on food drives, on toy drives and the type of things that we need um, and suggestions for toys that can be purchased and what for what age levels. All right, the next one's not a question, but it's uh, a comment that uh, says, this is from Berg, that I used to partner with Bluffton Self-Help years ago through an event called Dress for Success. I would love to re-energize this program with you. And if you could share your email address that uh, Berg will be delighted to follow up with you. Fabulous, Courtney at Bluffton Self help.org. And it's interesting because the clothing piece, when we think about we're working with somebody, they get their GED, we've worked on their resume, we've practiced interview skills, and then it's, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear to the interview? So that's where our clothing closet comes in handy. And it's all about how do we dress folks for that interview, for that job. And that's a confidence booster. Okay, the next question is coming from Cecil, and Cecil's asking, what type of jobs do your career ready, readiness programs address? Right, so it is, you know, workforce readiness is what we are focused on. So it is about financial literacy, it is about digital literacy, it is about um, communication skills. And so it's really, at this point, building that confidence to even be able to get to the place of an interview. 
where we hope this will grow and like thinking long-term in our strategic plan is how do we have a job bank and a full jobs program? And how do we create these partnerships with the corporations who already support us to say that this is someone who maybe has um, an incomplete or an undesirable job history, they've bopped around a lot. Will you take a chance? We will invest in this person. We will provide the life skills, the um, stabilization. We will think about all the other pieces that are impacting their ability or inability to work, childcare, transportation, housing, and we will get this person to a point. And if you will hire them, we will be an extension of your HR department and we will make sure they are successful. And if they hit a bump in the road, we are gonna help them overcome that so it doesn't impact their ability to get to work. All right, we have another question from you, and this is coming from Tom. Tom is asking, what percentage of your clients do you see going from crisis to stability? It's such a great question. We just received a phenomenal grant from Berkeley Hall to invest in case management software. And this is going to allow us, when somebody first comes to us, to kind of assess their self-sufficiency. It's a matrix that we use, so we are determining what their transportation is, what their childcare is, what their income is, what their employment is. So we can kind of give folks a grade for lack of a better word and determine what they need from us. So by asking these questions, we're able to say, wow, here's where we really need to focus first. And so this software, which will launch in two weeks will allow us to start seeing that progress. But I think what is even more interesting that we are gonna learn from this technology is how many steps backwards we find folks need to take before they can fully move forward. And so, you know, it's, it's hard right now because the last two years have been a complete anomaly in how we have helped. COVID completely changed things. Now the economy is changing things. So when we look at year over year data, it's like, I don't even know if we're comparing apples to apples this year because so much has changed. For our students, we are able to see exactly how they have moved and the path that they have taken. And that's because we really put some you know, parameters around what we expect in terms of attendance. And so that allows us to track attendance and retention and attrition. And so now that we've kind of tested that, we can apply it to our other programs. But the reality is if 10% of our community is in poverty and making $25,000 a year, they are always gonna need us. And we are okay knowing that there are going to be folks who are always going to need our help. So we will continue to focus on those basic needs, but we also have to look forward for folks too. Courtney, thank you for the such an informative uh, discussion this morning. And I also want to thank you and your volunteers as well as, well as your donors uh, for what you do and mean to this community and so many people. So thank you for that. We look forward to uh, uh, talking again and of uh, some of the people listening, helping and, and uh, with turkeys and toys and other things that, that are needed out there. Yeah, so we can't again. do it without the community. So thank you. Okay, thank you. And we appreciate you being with us today. In closing, I wanna remind everybody once again that uh, State of the Region is next week. And so if you don't have your tickets, we would like for you to get your tickets soon because uh, the room is filling up quickly. Couple other reminders. We know that election day is 13 days away and early voting has started and you can vote early on Hilton Head Island and you can also vote early in Bluffton. And I believe those hours are from uh, eight or 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday and uh, not on Sunday. 
So anyway, get out and vote and exercise your right to do that. We'll see you at State of the Region, and then uh, we look forward, forward to also seeing you at uh, Concours de Elegance and Motoring Festival. Have a great day and a great rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in today.